Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday we start off the weekend right by breaking down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency whilst drinking a cup of delicious coffee, which admittedly I've already drank half of. That being said, in today's episode, we've got the latest BTC price analysis, Polkadot news, crypto news, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates we've got today. But as we always do, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who watch the channel and listen to the podcast. If you want one of your questions answered, though, make sure you leave them in the comments below. Tweet me at Hashoshi4 or leave them in the Hashoshi Discord. If you would be so inclined, also please do subscribe to the channel and hit the bell notification button or follow the podcast wherever you are so you can get a heads up whenever I post new stuff on the channel. So thank you so much in advance. Let's dive into these questions here. Now, the first question is from T.T. Cooper, and he asks, where is the best place to hire blockchain developers? And this is a great question, and I've started to see this more and more often as startups are continuing to look for really hotly demanded uh, resources like blockchain developers. Now, it's a challenging question, though, because there are very few developers out there with blockchain knowledge. My recommendation would be one of two things. One, referrals are your number one best friend. Reach out widely into your network in the cryptocurrency space and the blockchain space and ask people that you know if they can refer you someone who is a blockchain developer. That is generally the best way to find one. The other way though, and in my opinion, the best way is to develop blockchain developers because I think people that have web development experience, particularly backend web development experience, people who have Uh, deep data science backgrounds, I think have the skills and the language knowledge, the domain knowledge to quickly become competent blockchain developers. It will take time to sort of intuitively know how to take a traditional uh, piece of logic and apply it broadly and securely to a blockchain paradigm. But the, the, I guess the soft skills and the hard skills are fairly easy to learn if you already have a technical background. So that would be my recommendation. Find someone with a a passion and an interest in becoming a blockchain developer and invest in their development into that sort of role. Homegrown talent is fantastic talent. Uh, And if you don't have a blockchain developer, if you can get one experienced blockchain developer, you can pick up a few other web developers or experienced developers and they can learn from that one person and that's how you scale your team. So hopefully that gives you some uh, good information to go off of. But if I can be a further assistance or you're looking for developers, I can try and refer one. You can reach out to me via email. So thank you so much for your question, T.T. Cooper. Next question for the day is from uh, Halwa Bakery. Great content as usual. Thank you so much. And the question is, can Bitcoin switch to proof of stake? If so, how and what would happen? So long story short, I don't think Bitcoin ever will switch to proof of stake. And that's based off of just fundamentals. It's not a protocol that is built for proof of stake. Quite frankly, proof of stake sort of runs counter to the way that the network security was built out in Bitcoin. You don't want the miners in this case who have been mining in this ecosystem for so long, who are now really whales in this industry, to then suddenly find themselves in a much smaller group uh, that's prone to collusion, that has power over block making in the network more so than anyone else does. Of course, centralization is a concern people talk about with proof of work, but quite frankly, it's more of a challenge to protect against that in terms of exchanges and miners uh, in in an environment where you're going to proof of stake. Uh, And so that's something you should definitely, definitely bear in mind. I think it's very dangerous, even more dangerous for a network that has been 
oriented towards proof of work to move to proof of stake. And that is why, in my opinion, that the Ethereum Foundation completely scrapped the original plan for proof of stake and reworked the entire thing. Uh, originally, the Ether amount that they ne you needed to have to become a validator on the network was, mo was much higher, right? And that would have tended the network towards centralization and favored whales who got in early on Ethereum, and that's not what you want. So all this to say, if we look at examples of projects who are doing it, if we look at the way that Bitcoin is built, proof of stake just isn't compatible with the way that it works. And it's hard enough to get common sense things done in Bitcoin, um, like Schnorr signatures, for example. It's difficult enough to do something like that that's low impact that can be done in a, a soft fork that I doubt a hard fork would ever happen for Bitcoin Core, at least, that would move it to proof of stake. That doesn't mean a fork like a Bitcoin Cash or a BSV or something like that couldn't do it. But again, that doesn't mean that's Bitcoin making that move. It's a different fork, totally different network. So long story short, I know I ramble a little bit when I answer these you know, philosophical questions, but Bitcoin could, there's nothing stopping it from doing so, moving to proof of stake, but I doubt that it ever will. And I don't think it would work well. I think it would be catastrophic. So there's my answer in the shortest term possible. Uh, next question is from Johan Anderson. Is it more safe to store crypto in a software wallet than on exchange? And people might be surprised by my answer on this. And it is, it depends. Most people in the crypto space might say instantly, yes, self-custody is better than exchange custody. But that actually isn't the case. The, the safety of your crypto depends on how you take in terms of your, the seriousness of your responsibility to protect your own keys. And software wallets on a smartphone, for example, or on your computer are only as safe as you make them. And so you, who is someone who individually has to take responsibility for that wallet, might have to make that determination. Are you going to be careful about the browsing that you do? Are you going to use a device that is cold, not connected to the internet, like an old smartphone or an old computer you don't use for anything else? Are you going to make sure that all of your two-factor authentication, your passwords and everything are both backed up and secure enough in the first place to not be breached. Those sorts of things really determine whether or not you're better off taking the risk on an exchange or putting it in your own software wallet. Hardware wallets in many ways still have some of those same issues. If you know that you can't keep your seed phrase secure, you know that you'll give up your seed phrase in a phishing attempt or you're scared that you will, sometimes exchanges can be a good option for people in those categories. I hate to say it. I don't like the idea that people might not have custody of their own crypto. But to be honest with you, paying someone else in a sense to take care of it, if you physically cannot do so yourself, sometimes is a viable option because people have time and time again proven that they can't keep seed phrases safe. Their cybersecurity and operation security are not up to par and they just can't be trusted to keep their own crypto. And and that's a challenge that the industry is gonna to have to solve through better user experience, through uh, more ways to secure your crypto in an easier way. Uh, but again, these are not easy problems to solve and it's going to take time. So in that, in that regard, in some isolated cases, you can store it on exchange. If you've got a lot of crypto, invest the time, invest in the knowledge and invest in yourself and change your behavior to be more secure in self-custody and just go to a hardware wallet. Uh, software wallets have a lot more that can go wrong, in my opinion, than hardware wallets. And uh, that's that's just the general rule of thumb. Uh, but of course, try and own your own keys if you can. That is the best thing to do. But of course, in some cases, it might not make sense. 
Thanks so much, Johan, for your question. Question from Code. Do you need a college degree to be a blockchain developer? I know you don't for normal backend web dev, but I was wondering if you needed one for blockchain. And the answer is markedly no. For most development roles, it's about what you can do rather than what piece of paper you can show that says you might be able to do something. The reality is, is that school in many ways for the development industry is a great way to uh, network with companies. It's a great way to network with other developers, other people. It's a great way to learn the fundamental skills and fundamental uh, theory behind programming and building software and building systems. Systems more important than software, in my opinion, how things interconnect to each other. But by no means is it necessary. You can go on YouTube, you can go on self-guided, you can learn from a mentor all these things you can learn from somebody else in digital or physical format. And so that being said, if you have those skills, all you need to do is be able to market yourself enough to get your foot in the door for an interview or to network your way with somebody on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Yes, LinkedIn is a good place. People say delete it, but I think LinkedIn is great for that sort of thing. You don't need a college degree to be a blockchain developer the same way you don't need one to be a web developer or really any other type of developer. It's all about the skills you have, how you can solve problems, and how passionate you are about continuously learning because the space moves a mile a minute and you've got to keep honing your chops and, and learning new things along the way. So that would be my recommendation. You don't need a college degree. If you do choose to get one, though, you shouldn't be guilted out of doing so. There are two distinct paths or several distinct paths that you can use to get to the same place. So don't make, you know, don't take it seriously if someone says, oh, you don't need a degree, you're wasting money. If that's the path that you choose, that is an okay path to take. So that would be my advice. Thank you so much for your questions. And everyone, as always, feel free to leave them in the comments below if you have more. Let's dive into the news. Now, just as a friendly reminder, please be aware of the scammers in the comments that are posing as me. They have the same photo as me, the same name, but they are not me. So if the comment does not have the name highlighted, it's not me, and you can go ahead and report them. And of course, for those who are new here every week in partnership with the folks at Kobo, they make the awesome Kobo Vault wallet in case you didn't know, I'll be giving away a Kobo tablet steel seed phrase backup device in every episode from here on out. So all you have to do to enter the random draw is comment on this video, and I'll pick a winner each week. Of course, for transparency, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, I'll send you Bitcoin instead. So the winner of last week's random draw from the comments is here on the screen. So big congratulations to you. And of course, I will be in touch to talk about how to claim your prize. Now, this week's Bitcoin price analysis is actually different for a change. There were several weeks on Crypto Over Coffee where we were just talking about the bull market and prices going straight upward in terms of price. But this week, we saw some of the trademark volatility that Bitcoin bull runs tend to have and have in, in history, with $10,000 swings at the peak dropping from around 40K or above 40K to the lows of 30Ks. And then, of course, we went right back again to 40K, and now we're back down again. So it's been quite a roller coaster. Uh, but most of the Bitcoin faithful have just bought the dip or stayed the course and not bad at an eye. And at the end of the week, Bitcoin is sitting at around 36, 37,000 US dollars, which has ignited discussion on Twitter about whether 30,000 is the new support level, the strong support level that 10K has been for what seems like years now. I think that as things started to trend downwards, there was a widespread concern that this was altogether a short-lived bull market and we're doomed to another huge deflated market for years on end. But that was certainly not the case this week if you look at how things trended. 
You've probably heard it on your other favorite crypto YouTubers channels, but healthy pullbacks or a set of price retractions in a cycle are very, very important to a continued bull cycle. It means profits are being taken and markets are consolidating at lower prices where more buyers can get in. It's an, an attractive way for more buyers to get in. So it's mostly when you see a deflation of total market capitalization over several months that indicates maybe investors are more permanently leaving the market. We just haven't seen that here. So this is why I advocate often for folks to do dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin on a cadence, never overextend, just set it and forget it. And then don't even look at the number when these big th big swings happen, because this is the long game. And I think people should try not to forget that this is the long game. So those who said Bitcoin was dead in 2017 when it deflated from all-time highs simply cheated those who would have otherwise been patient holding Bitcoin to these new all-time highs a couple years later from massive, massive gains. So if you believe in Bitcoin, you believe in the mission, you believe in why it's valuable, hold and be patient and don't worry about the rest. Now, I present this next story to you early in the episode because I think... Everyone should hear about it. Everyone should understand this. So a federal magistrate judge, Zaya, I hope it's, this is pronunciation uh, in a correct way, uh, Zaya or Zia Faruqi, who was hearing a cryptocurrency forfeiture case in a D.C. circuit court, asserted in an opinion on that case that I quote, the horror story of unhosted wallets is fiction, not fact. This statement from that opinion, that opinion piece, was not directed at FinCEN nor the ill-advised proposed regulation governing strict rules around transactions of crypto and unhosted wallets, but it did directly address the false pretense on which those regulations have been proposed. Judge Faruqi in, you know, continued in that assertion that, again, I quote, Indeed, cash poses a greater challenge to law enforcement than cryptocurrency in unhosted wallets. Which leads me to the ultimate question. Does it not make a lot of sense that CBDC or central bank digital currencies are being developed? Prosecutors, regulators, law enforcement, etc. They all know that cash is a critical weak link in their efforts to, you know, enforce the law and to continue to have control over the law. And as such, digital currency is the panacea to their woes. A digital breadcrumb trail for every transaction at their fingertips. So the argument that cryptocurrency is used primarily for criminal intent is markedly false. And it's encouraging to see a judge in a higher court call this nonsense out for what it is. It's fiction. And CBDCs and cryptocurrencies are largely held to the same standard. Another story I've been thinking about this entire week since I heard about it is the news that the internet and web hosting juggernaut Cloudflare has now dipped not just a toe, but plunged fully into the decentralized web with a series of feature launches intended to give access to some of the cornerstone technologies in the blockchain space. Now, this is the first of what I assume will be many services to launch within Cloudflare, but they announced a new domain resolver for the Ethereum name service domains that will allow ENS domain names that live on Ethereum to resolve to IPFS content as web content. Now, IPFS, for those who are unfamiliar, stands for Interplanetary File System, and it's a decentralized storage mechanism for all types of data, including web content like your classic HTML, CSS web pages. So this is a foundational step in terms of bringing Web3 technology, as it's called, to a more accessible place for the masses. And Cloudflare, they're a huge, huge player in the internet world, and their support can continue to catapult decentralized tech to the next level of adoption. However, I do want to 
extend a word of caution that too much concentration of power in any few big names within the internet world could be a danger to the decentralized ethos of these technologies, however great it is to see. So it's with extreme care that we must approach the adoption of the same in order to ensure that it does not subtly centralize its components over time before it's really too late for us to make that decision later to hey say, hey, we're starting to consolidate too much. Now, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that the only form of maximalism that I'll admit to, I guess, living by is cartoon maximalism. And it's really a joke, but I think cartoons are the ultimate form of entertainment on television. And that being said, the creator of the fantastic animated show Rick and Morty, Justin Roiland, has announced the launch of his own custom artwork as NFTs on the Nifty Gateway. This marks one of the first cartoon animators that I can think of jumping into this space, and it will hopefully spur more networks and more creators and more animators in general to do the same. Can you imagine if Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network launched NFTs for every show in their portfolio? Particularly for nostalgic 90s kids like me, I think it would sell really, really well. So that would be massive. But I expect that when the full collection of Royland Originals launches on Tuesday, January 19th, there will be a large response and these NFTs will fetch some solid prices. So I'm telling folks that are watching this right now, if you're not looking at NFTs as a huge part of crypto adoption, similar to DeFi, you're missing out. It is a space to watch. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found, everyone's favorite segment. And for those of you who are maybe not yet initiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that just need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video get some attention from the YouTube algorithm robots, please do hit that like button and get subscribed to the channel or follow on your favorite podcast platform because it tells the robots that run this whole content world that you're enjoying it and other people might also enjoy it. So thank you for that in advance. Now with every bull market, it seems that Despite the efforts of those with open minds in the space, and there are plenty of them, the conversations on Twitter and other media platforms devolve into maximalism and emotional myopia about one's favorite project. And sadly, more recently, I've seen a trend where Ethereum fanatics are attacking Polkadot as it surges in price and is growing in momentum. And I've seen a growing number of people in that sort of category peddling rhetoric like, quote, Polkadot is a great bridge until Ethereum 2.0 is ready, and then it's already obsolete. Thank you, dot holders, for keeping the seat warm for us. And of course, that's more subtext than a direct quote, but generally that is the, the theme of what I'm seeing. And this is wrong in so many ways. I cannot even express it to you in a segment, let alone a whole episode, what's wrong with this idea. But first of all, for every Ethereum-centric person, how do you feel when Bitcoin maximalists rattle off a load of halfway factual and biased reasons why Ethereum sucks and how Bitcoin is the only thing that matters? It probably makes you angry. You probably immediately jump to logical defenses for Ethereum and you want to correct their effectual responses to what you're saying and you want to defend its place in the market. So why then do Ethereum fanatics turn to maximalism themselves and do the same thing to other projects? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I've built my career on Ethereum. I've bet so many hours of learning on Ethereum's technology. I'm heavily invested in Ether, the native cryptocurrency, and I believe in Ethereum 2.0, even when many don't. But I have to tell you, it still is confusing why people hold on so tightly. 
I have a lot to lose if Ethereum fails, more than a lot of people do, actually, but I refuse to fall into the trap of assuming that Ethereum can't fail, because it can, and Polkadot is, in many ways, a one-way door for Ethereum. If Ethereum tries to fight Polkadot, both projects might dilute their original mission and fall to the wayside. But if the two projects can enter that door together and see the huge amount of shared mission and technological compatibility between the two and collaborate, both projects could shine together to achieve the real goal here that they both share, and it has nothing to do with token price, and that is providing people with scalable and usable decentralized technology options to build the applications of the future. Ethereum 2.0 is years away, and that's a fact, and Polkadot will likely launch its roadmap items before Ethereum 2.0. So to say that Polkadot is dead in the water compared to Ethereum 2.0, and setting that as the culture of the relationship between the two projects is not only arrogant and presumptuous, but it's just simply stupid and ill-advised. Polkadot has become one of my favorite projects in the space because of its ethos. It's built upon the principle, the fundamental principle, of betting against blockchain maximalism. There's not one protocol to rule the world. It's a platform on which many blockchains can coexist. And if you look deeply at it, Ethereum 2.0 and Polkadot have far more to gain in cooperation than they do into competition. So one does not have to fail for the other to succeed. And that is a refrain that applies broadly across this crypto space. A lot of projects say, oh, I'm, I'm gonna kill this project. We're gonna kill this project. We're better than this or that. Work together, not against each other. The same goal is there. So I love Polkadot, I love Ethereum, I think they both succeed, but only if their own communities get out of their own way and stop being maximalist about who they are and what they are. Maximalism is a state of being, a state of closed-mindedness and myopia, and you can ask Blockbuster what that place of arrogance brings you. 404, logic not found. In other news, Unstoppable Domains, a company who developed a blockchain domain registry and tools to build a decentralized web, have just integrated their Ethereum-based .crypto domain names into the largest Litecoin wallet, which is aptly named LightWallet. What this means is that users of LightWallet can now use human-readable domain names to send crypto to recipients and, of course, to receive in the other direction, such as my domain, for example, hashoshi4.crypto. You just type that in, it resolves to my address, and you can send me Litecoin. Not asking you to send me Litecoin. No worries. <laughs> this improves the UX of sending and receiving crypto drastically, and it's been applied in a lot of different applications. Now, this seems to be just the start of Unstoppable Domain's involvement with Litecoin, and this is my own speculation, but I have a feeling that there will be more to this going forward as the interoperability space starts to grow within the Litecoin community. So there's also some big news out of the DeFi space this week that I wanted to mention. After the lending and borrowing protocol, Unilend announced a partnership with synthetic asset issuer Mirror Protocol to collaborate on the first synthetic asset lending marketplace, which we focused on real-world assets like stock. This kind of sent everyone into a frenzy online, and, and deservedly so. This means that you would, in theory, be able to lend or borrow stock in hot companies like Amazon, Tesla, Apple, and more using what are called M-assets, which are essentially mirrored synthetic assets on the blockchain that represent real-world assets, hence the name Mirror Protocol. It all makes sense. This type of open exchange for stock-pegged digital assets in a fungible market environment can provide enormous opportunity for users around the world to get access to new assets they couldn't get to before, but also for new profit-making activities related to stock and traditional assets by way of DeFi. So I can imagine immediately being able to collateralize stock that I own in the real world to get a stablecoin loan and then participate in other DeFi services and then later 
exit back to stock, for example, to grow my position in that stock if I wanted to. So it's this type of innovation, these new markets, if it works, of course, that's just another example of DeFi starting to increasingly merge and meld with traditional markets to great effect. So it's very, very exciting times to be alive. And of course, keep watching fintech and traditional finance like Goldman Sachs, etc. They're going to continue to enter this space and try and stay relevant because this is where things are going in the future. Now, with that, folks, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Crypto Over Coffee. And if you have time to stick around, please do check out one of the other awesome episodes we have on the channel. I'll link one up next. I wish you and your family a safe and restful weekend. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.